Lula, the former socialist president, having been jailed for corruption, is temporarily freed due to his unlawful arrest. Bolsonaro, the nationalist leader who covets the machismo support of quasi-fascists and the xenophobic, including biker gangs. He drapes himself in the flag all the while he maligns his own citizens, dying by the thousands in the streets from a virus he didn't believe in and by rampant violence which outpaces yearly gun deaths in Syria, a country currently fighting a brutal civil war. Once touted as a bastion of growing democracy and prosperity in Latin America, Brazil is quickly descending into a quagmire of intense political partisanship, corruption, and violence, which is no apparent solution. So, to discuss, I've brought on Carolina Vasconcelos, a Brazilian national I met in university while she was studying in Canada as an international student. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Carolina. So uh, Hi. today we're going to talk about Brazil, COVID, and Bolsonaro. And, you know, first I just want to kind of give a rundown of how this has begun. Brazil had the first COVID case in February of 2020, and this has really become a huge crisis despite Bolsonaro initially downplaying it as just a small flu. And so far, they have the third or fourth largest case count, um, higher than the Americans and higher than the Indians despite being a smaller population. It's third or fourth because it's hard to come by the accurate Chinese numbers. Um, but so far, Brazil has 18 million cases, 513,000 deaths, which represents roughly 13% of global deaths from COVID, despite you guys only having 3% of the population. So clearly it's disproportionate. And do you want to just talk about that? Yeah, um, as you said, the cases started back in February last year. But it was only towards the end of March that some restrictions were put into place. Um, they were mainly just closing down schools, malls, stuff like that. But not really much was done because initially, even the population did not take it seriously. And why would they like the biggest authority figure, the president's downplaying it. And so from their own words was just downhill and right now i think yeah i'm sure actually we are one of the worst places to be um in this moment because of covid i'm just checking the news of like five minutes ago and we're <laughs> this is a good news like we're down two thousand deaths a day now which two months ago we were above two thousand deaths per day which is just it's unimaginable. Yeah, yeah, that's that's crazy. And so I from what I understand, this is a large part and due to the, the lack of preparation by uh, Brazilian medical officials. And it's 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 hard to really blame them because of course the government doesn't provide them uh, yeah. adequate resources. And so there was a lack of PPE medical equipment, so ventilators, masks, and oxygen supply, right? Yep. I wouldn't say it's the medical staff fault uh, because they don't have anything to work with. So I would say it's mainly Bolsonaro's fault because just just so you know, like uh, the health ministers, they changed like four times. We are in our fourth minister of health this term of presidency. 
And just because of that, because they would recommend procedures and what to do in the situation. And Bolsonaro wouldn't agree, wouldn't sign and just downplaying it and they would quit. So just that kept going on and on. And that's what's going on mainly. And yeah, so Bolsonaro's kind of been like a horrible example, right? Like he's, yeah. he's, he's really downplayed it from the start. He called it the small flu and he's also gotten COVID twice, but then he still broke lockdown orders and he didn't wear a mask. And, you know, he, he even got fined uh, for breaking lockdown and you know, supposedly he was going to challenge this in court. I'm not sure what happened with that, but I, I so two questions. Well, no, he has that. to like, play a fine this week. Uh, they said okay, he has so, to play a fine. So that's come through, but uh, do you, how, how much does this uh, have to do with like his perception, like machismo and like the strongman figure? Like that, that seems to be playing a lot into it, right? Yes, actually earlier this week, uh, this he was being interviewed and he just started cursing at the interviewers and talking well very badly about the it's global it's the main mainstream news from brazil and one of the things he said is that people that are against him are against brazil and the traditional family like the brazilian family the church and everything else so he tries to play this very traditional old-fashioned role which was kind of what got him elected because a big part of his voters are actually very like religious and traditional but even now I don't think he has that much support from them yeah and so I think like a lot of the issues which got him elected is that the uh the left wing um mm -hmm. and like the communists in in Brazil were perceived for a lot of decades to have like too much power too much influence and he was kind of like a return to form like nationalist rhetoric kind of got him elected uh, and yeah. but now Sorry, go no, ahead. No, you can. Oh, sorry. Okay. Um, so during the 90s, mainly like right wing parties ruled the country. But then on 2002, the worker party from Brazil, uh, they got elected and then they stayed in power up till 2000. Uh, I'm not sure. It's like 2016. That's when the former president Dilma Rousseff was impeachment. And that was like a long time to be in power. And especially because Brazil does still have a big problem believing in like, uh, still a, like maybe the communists are trying to take over the country and be the new Soviet Union, which is not gonna happen, but um, they still believe in that because a lot from back in the dictatorship, like ages ago, still, it still, it still is believed because people just rather forget about this shameful period in our history over talking about it. So there is a lot of misconception that still goes on. Um, and then during the last years of the left-wing party um, being in office, there was like this huge uh, scandal, the hugest corruption scandal Brazil has ever seen which got the former president uh, impeachment. So people just wanted a change. And funnily enough, the opposition wasn't actually Bolsonaro at the beginning. And the former opposition, which is the Social Democracy Party, they somehow managed to lose that because they were also kind of involved with that. 
that whole scandal. And Bolsonaro claimed to be like this new opportunity, even though he was in politics for decades and hadn't done much. And but during this time in Congress, he was in Congress, he managed to form powerful alliances with these traditional religious parties and big figures. So that's what got him elected and also fake news, like most of his campaign, because he didn't have a lot of time in TV or radio. Most of his campaign was done through like Facebook and WhatsApp. So it was full of fake news, which is one of the biggest issues now in Brazil. Yeah. And so I just want to first touch back on what you said there, you know, um, the fears of some sort of communist revolution, um, of, although, you know, the communist party is small in Brazil, it only has roughly 400,000 members um, out of a population of several hundred million. I mean, you know, so a small percentile, but you saw many countries like Venezuela and Nicaragua and a bunch of other countries in Latin America go through communist phases. So in some aspects, uh, fears of socialism and communism were well-founded, um, but, you know, kind of overplayed, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think maybe if given the opportunity that might happen, I just don't think the population would support that. And that would play like a huge part. If the population doesn't support the government, they're going to fall. And that's just clearly not going to happen right now and at this moment in Brazil. And also, I think even when the left wing party is in office, and yes, they do form alliances with those countries. And yes, they've done a lot of things that I do not support. Um, they still do not represent like a real threat. And even like, I'm not a left-wing person, but even, even that party was a better option than having Bolsonaro as a president. Because honestly, he's just mass murdering the population right now, all his actions. So, yeah. Yeah, and so that goes to kind of the thing where it's like there's corruption on both sides of the aisle, which uh, allows Bolsonaro to kind of hide his own uh, misdeeds and malpractice because he can just obfuscate to the idea that, oh, look, like the people before me are literally in jail, right? Um, but this brings us to the uh, Bolsonaro's current corruption case, right? So his government purchased uh, 20 million doses of Covaxin from India's Bevat Biotech International. And even though most Brazilians haven't gotten the vaccine, Bloomberg's reporting that a, a government lawmaker who's remained unnamed uh, says that the financial books don't add up with the contract. And this is suggesting corruption and that like they massively over uh, overpaid for the drugs. Um, you said it was a thousand percent. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Okay. So that actually starts about a year ago when Pfizer started trying to contact Brazil because they wanted to make Brazil like this huge example of vaccination in the world because, well, the situation. And about 53 emails were completely ignored by Brazilian officials. Uh, the last email was like in December-ish, kind of. And they were trying to sell the Pfizer vaccine, which is like undeniably one of the best in the world for very good value. Uh, instead, Brazilian officials chose to ignore that. And they did very recently close the contract with Pfizer, but paying much more than initially offered. And also very delayed because the pandemic is going on for 
over a year now and vaccination has been going on for well about six months I guess and like Pfizer's they are having like delays in delivery because of well just the demand everyone wants the Pfizer vaccine so instead of that um, in a bit over three months to be more precise 97 days Brazil um, signed a contract with Covaxin, which is the Indian vaccine, which is not being sought after because it's not very popular. It's not, it's just not on the top of the best vaccines. And they did pay a lot more than what Pfizer proposed initially in the first emails. So it's just kind of like, he, Brazil could be much, much ahead of in vaccination if they had actually looked at the emails months ago. And yeah, so right now they are looking over the numbers with the co-vaccine deal and they are seeing that the, they paid way too much. And some numbers point that that was a thousand percent over the price compared to the Pfizer initial offer, um, which led to believe did they, did they actually pay that much or did they or is that something going on there so that's that's what's going on yeah and so this has led to a a, a parliamentary inquiry into bolsonaro's mishandling of the virus and even though he's like acquiesced on you know allowing pfizer to uh, sell vaccines to the country this seems to be like um just trying to cover up for the fact that you know he waited so long it's, it's kind of just to like dissuade the different opposition but Regardless, um, 11 opposition senators have uh, have come up in this uh, parliamentary inquiry and are looking into his mishandling of the virus. And, you know, some of some people have called him like a mass murderer um, for like deliberately killing people in Brazil by withholding offers from other countries, because like vaccination could have started months ago. Right. Um, with these different vaccines. And that would have undoubtedly saved like hundreds of thousands of people's lives. As you said, like the death toll continues to rise there's still like hundreds of cases a day if not thousands and you know this is also like going into beyond the vaccines this is a, a an emerging scandal among of all the ppe where they're looking into the failure to resupply oxygen so, uh, oxygen stock and uh, other essential ppe such as like masks and ventilators yeah just so you have an idea like here in canada um we are on the second doses mainly because the population mainly has received the first dose while in brazil uh, the vaccination rates um, are very very low like in my hometown they are just now starting to vaccinate people over 40 and in the whole country education uh, education profession professional sorry are just now starting to get vaccinated and they are frontline workers so, yeah, the situation does not look good. Uh, just talking about my hometown, this week on Friday, they got these big, a lot of the Johnson Johnson vaccine arrived, which is a single dose, which is like great. And I was talking to my friends and it's incredible. Like one of my friend, friends, her parents got the vaccine on Saturday and there are people crying, actually crying because they were getting the vaccine and they were getting the single dose, which is, it, it was not 
people did not believe that was going to happen that fast. So, yeah. So, uh, what what do you think? Like, ha- has this permanently damaged Bolsonaro's reputation? Because I know he still maintains like a large support base. You know, like we saw those motorcycle rallies um, in his in his favor, which were like a clear like show of strength. And he's like repeatedly come out and said like, "Ooh, like I believe that the quote was that like." Brazilians were whining about coronavirus, you know, like he's continuously downplayed it despite kind of backtracking on his policies. So do you think this maybe like will result in like uh, electoral change? Like, do you think he can be removed from power or does he remain a steady grip on the country? Well, okay. So as you said, he's having like these big motorcycle parades and stuff like that, which he's being sued for. Um, and but at the same time, a lot of protests against him have happened, although and a lot of them were repressed violently. Um, in my state's capital, there were people who were harmed. People, this particular person that I'm talking about, he actually lost his sight and he wasn't even a part of the protest. So I do think it has harmed his position, but it, he still holds a lot of support because. Of like it's Brazilian history, um, the consequences of the dictatorship were, were never talked about. So a lot of people just oversee those over two decades of our history, recent history. And also even more recently, this left-wing party was in power for almost two decades. And they did do a lot of changes that didn't make a big part of the population happy. They were as involved in this big corruption scandal. And at the end of the last year, former president Lula, which is like the big leader figure of the opposition was released from prison and he is eligible to be a candidate next year. The federal elections are next year. And he has announced that he is going to be a candidate. And if he, if he actually does that, I would say it's going to be a very, very difficult election. We are definitely, because if the candidate does not get over 50% of the votes in the, in the election day, I guess, Brazil does have a second election day with the two most voted candidates. So that's probably what's going to happen. And it's most likely gonna be Bolsonaro and Lula. But then that I think that Lula has a big chance of winning actually, because other parties, even the like during Lula's government, the biggest opposition was the Social Demo- Democracy Party. And during the late 90s, it was uh, former president Henrique, sorry, Fernando Henrique and Lula fighting over power, he has declared that if it comes down to Bolsonaro and Lula, he's going to pick Lula. So even the opposition, even even the center parties, the right-wing parties, a lot of them are siding with Lula if it comes down to that. Because as you said, a lot of people, and even I would agree, that's genocide. He's murdering the population because he had a choice to stop that. And he still has a choice to stop that. And he does not. Earlier this week, he was giving interviews, asking people to take off their masks, asking kids to take off their masks and saying that 
people who were against him were actually against the vaccine because uh, he has gotten the COVID. So apparently he says, which was of course scientifically proven wrong, he's immune. So he says the, the best answer is to get the COVID because that's the best defense you could ever get. Even though this has been proved from multiple times and over and over again, otherwise the cases wouldn't be going up in Brazil. Yeah, and so like I think the fact that like Lula, so Lula, the like he's still able to run and he's still a prominent figure despite all the corruption scandal, despite being in jail. So like, doesn't this kind of speak to like the political partisanship of Brazilian uh, politics, which is just like completely divided the country and like it kind of like it exemplifies why Bolsonaro is able to cling to power despite all these um, corruption scandals and mishandling of the pandemic, right? Like both sides have done it. So like you have to kind of choose between one corrupt party or the other. Is there a viable third party that's like clean for lack of better words that like is like for the people without just being Um, a corporatist uh, shill? uh, Okay, so... Yeah, that, that does show. And it, this is the thing growing up, I remember going with my parents to vote, like they would go vote and they would just watch that and ask like, oh, so this is the best person. They were like, no, this is the least worst person. Because for so many years, there, there wasn't this, well, this huge figure that could actually lead the country to a better path. Um, the last election, we actually had 13 candidates. <laughs> So there are other options. They are just not popular enough for multiple reasons. Either they don't have a big big party supporting them or their party isn't very popular. And also because I think people like to go to the extremes. They either go far right or far left. But there are like huge opportunities in the center that could have been picked. Um, But still, and also it's like, People, which is a bit confusing, like if you vote in another person, the results will change, but they think the two most popular ones will go to the second election day. So I'll just go and pick one of them because we know that they are the most popular ones. But if people actually went and look at the others, maybe we could have um, a better option. For next year, from what I gather, the Social Democracy Party is going to um, run with the Sao Paulo's governor, Doria, who's going to try to run for office. And he's very popular. Before Lula, it was going to be between him and, and sorry, and Bolsonaro. Um, now I'm not so sure. He still represents quite a bit. Um, but Lula is just this huge figure. He just, he didn't try for a third um, run for office because he couldn't in Brazil you can only run twice and then you have to wait at least another term and try again and yeah so I and especially because in the early 2000s that's mainly when Lula was in power and especially his first his first term as a president it wasn't as bad like the country still grew and they formed good alliances and stuff like that so people still hold on to that I do not think that their party would be the key to answer, like to solve all of Brazil's problems as Lula has said in an interview this week. 
but they are, I don't think any party in Brazil other than Bolsonaro's, and he doesn't even have a party actually, would have led the country to this situation. Like anyone would have been a better choice. Mm -hmm. So maybe do we want to talk about the lockdowns for a bit? Because I know this is a, a part of the reason why he's been criticized so much. You know, first there was a failure to act and then there was a kind of a half step measure that they enacted. So, you know, like a lot of the factories remained half, half open. And then there was like a failure to like, while well, schools and like other places were completely shut down, you know, like Bolsonaro was still like focusing on the economy and like not completely uh, shutting it down. Like places like Canada or Britain have done. And, you know, uh, statistics are hard to come by because, you know, this is a, a two-sided argument, right? Like if the government doesn't give enough assistance to the people, it's hard for you to justify going into lockdown because they don't have money to earn and pay for the stuff. But I, I've generally heard that homelessness has doubled in Brazil as a result of uh, the pandemic. So what are your thoughts on like the debate between the economy versus healthcare? I think that in an attempt to, to say, save the economy, we've actually destroyed it because countries who have shut down completely have shown that they could slowly reopen and in a good, like in a good rhythm, I guess. Whereas Brazil has never fully gone into lockdown and has never fully reopened also. So people are kind of in, in, like into a limbo. They don't know what to do and they can't do anything. But cities are, they open up like for a month and then they close again and some things reopen, some do not. And even the matter of what to reopen first has become a problem. Like in my hometown, they reopened the bars before the schools. So that just shows like what is more important, like a bar that gathers people and or schools. Um, and now they are like, they do have in-person classes, they're back with in-person classes, just because it's been over a year and the, they're just trying to like save the education now because online wasn't really working. And yeah, so Brazil is a country that depends in a lot of in-person economy, I would say, like tourism and tourism was shut down. Um, or like just in commerce, like going to the stores and buying stuff and they had to close that down. So a lot of people also lost their jobs because when they reopened, they didn't at full capacity. And then they asked for the government to help like financially. And they don't really, like they do, there is this, these measures put into place to help people. But if I told you the amounts, not even the minimum wage per month, they don't get the minimum wage per month. I think I was checking here, um, but it was something like a bit, a bit, I think a bit over the half of the minimum wage split into four installments. And this is up to this month or next month, I guess. So people are not, getting a lot of money and yes uh homelessness has definitely increased I, i'm not sure if it has doubled but it has increased um uh, my cousins have actually started this small organization into my, in my hometown to just people who have money donate and they buy food and 
blankets and stuff like that and go into the streets and give to the people because they don't get the help from the government, which I think is just an amazing initiative. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, one of the aspects of this is, that, you know, the stratification of Brazilian society. So, you know, there's a lot of coastal uh, elites and wealthy people, and it, it tends to correlate with the European descended uh, people from Portugal, uh, whereas a lot of the, the you know, like inner, inner parts of the country is dominated by like the indigenous and black populations. And so there's, there's almost an aspect of, of racism to this, it seems, because resources haven't been allocated like fairly and a lot of the people in the interior have been left to like squander especially if they worked in the informal economy like there's a lot of like stuff that's not really on the books in brazil and you know maybe you want to talk about that like the racism and also know that like uh the gangs became very prevalent during this because that is an alternative source of income to like sell drugs or weapons and you know brazil has an ongoing issue with these uh gang wars between the police who are extremely brutal um this, this speaks as well to the racism i mean we, we've seen a huge rise in you know uh police killings and also uh extrajudicial killings and, and vigilantism it seems to be on the rise as well with you know like right-wing reactionaries just taking matters into their hands so to speak yeah a few years back uh, there are more people dying per year in brazil by gun like either by the police or just a crime scenes than in the war in Syria, just so you have an idea. And yes, that does talk about racism. I'm actually from the interior um, and I can tell you that society is very split. Like, yes, the descendants from Portuguese and Spanish people do hold a better economical status, whereas the poorest part of the population are indigenous or black population. And when you look at that, most of them, they live in the outskirts of, of towns, of cities, actually. That's the favelas. You must have heard about them. Yeah, they're infamous. Yeah. And funnily enough, oddly enough, they have provided more to their population than the government has. The gang leaders, they have donated masks and supplies to their population because they protect their own, because they know and they have known that for well, decades, I guess. The government's not there for them. They are not gonna help. So they have to look out one another and they have done this during the pandemic. And yeah, I guess a lot of things, especially in the economy is off the books. Um, and people have been harmed by that. Yeah, because they can go back to work but they can actually prove anything also like that they don't have that they have lost something because they can't prove they had that in the, first, in the first place. And so that stops them getting like payments from the government, right? Yeah. Um, and also like down south and yeah, south and around the, that part of Brazil, most of the population is white European descendants. Whereas the populations and the northeast is i think mainly mixed or like native and it does also show how they vote in the last elections the only region in brazil that bolsonaro did not win was the northeast um, the left-wing party won there i'm from there by the way <laughs> um 
because that's where the poorest population is. Whereas in the South, because of the number of uh, people who descend from Europe, they're, they're, they have money. So they're fine with the government, I guess. They don't have any complaints, I guess. But even them, they have suffered during the economy. People who have business, which like they got a lot of money before the pandemic, but with the pandemic, they had to close down and that changed a bit, I guess. And that also goes to another, yeah, goes to another thing. Like these people, they put a lot of pressure into reopening because they want to get back to business, but we're not ready to reopen because we have not vaccinated people. We have not gone into full lockdowns. So it's just, it becomes a snowball of problems. Yeah. So I want to touch on two things you said though. I think like the part about the drug gangs uh, representing the communities better and supplying them uh, better than the government. I mean, this is a common occurrence, uh, not just across Latin American countries, but but particularly there. I mean, if you see in Mexico, for example, it's it's basically the same thing. You know, um, the the local uh, the local crime syndicates, uh, so-called mafiosos, cartels, whatever you want to call them, um, even though they're you know draining the well-being and the wealth from the population by like selling them drugs and doing crime and stuff. It's kind of a paradox where like they're simultaneously like one of the biggest issues for these local areas, but they're also the only supplier of resources. So, you know, they're stuck in a, in a trap where it's like you, you want help because you're in a desperate situation, but you're also getting it from like quote unquote bad guys. Right. Yeah. And, uh, well, shit, I guess I that like, the problem is that society is built in a way that stops them from having opportunities. Like, yeah, that's it. Like they know that they can get out of the situation. So they become part of the problem. And, but at the same time, they are the only ones who actually solve any problems for themselves because they don't get any support from the government. Like the favelas, they're very frequently raided by the police and, there are a lot of murders going on because it's not just fight. It's never just fight to take a life. They just kill because they, they, because they can, I guess. They are not punished. And like, it's hard to change a situation when the situation was built to keep going forever and ever, just harming this huge part of the population, I guess. Yeah, and it it's almost like a euphemism to call them police at this point, because, you know, they almost look like military or paramilitary. I mean, a lot of them carry fully automatic weapons. They have body armor, helmets. Like, they're not just like yes. some plainclothes cop that you'd see in Canada, right? No, no. They go into the favelas in full-on raids, like riding these, blood, um, like, I can't even explain. It looks like a military action, yeah. It is a military action. Yeah, and I think the other point I wanted to touch on back there was you you talking about the stratification. I mean, the wasn't the tourism industry resumed briefly, right? Like this is part of the issue with the the southeast, right? Like they're heavily yeah. focused on the, the tourism economy, and you know they pushed to reopen it, even though you know it's it's not really safe to do so yet. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how 
international travel is working? Like if there is international tourism going on in Brazil? Because I also know that for a person to get out of their own countries, it involves their own politics and restrictions. So, but I do know that different from Canada, which every province has its own restrictions and stuff like that. And like a few months back, even the Atlantic, people couldn't travel between provinces like last week. <laughs> In Brazil, we have um, many states and there was never any kind of restrictions on that. So I've seen a lot of people, even people my age who went to, to school with me, just traveling. Um, and so I guess the tourism industry has resumed. I would say especially during like January because that's the summer vacations in Brazil. Yeah, for sure. It has at least partially resumed, even though it shouldn't have. And there is no restriction like going between states. Uh, you can just, you don't even have to get tested. So, yeah. And I think in part, this is an issue with uh, uh, devolution of, of finances and power. Right? Like, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, from my perception of Brazil, you have a, have a, have a pretty strong executive uh, system and uh, you know, central control by the federal government. And this is in part a legacy of the dictatorship, whereas a lot of the provinces don't really have adequate financial resources. I'm sorry, I lost you there for a moment. Oh, did we disconnect? Well, I, I was just saying that, you know, from my perception of it, it seems that uh, Brazil has a very uh, um, strong executive system with a weak, weak devolution of, of economic and political powers to the local governments. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to blame the local governments because they don't really have the material wealth to, to do anything of consequence. Yeah, they, they do not have the power. Like if the uh, governor decided to just close down the state for the other states, like let's say isolate Sao Paulo, they couldn't do it. They need the president's approval. So yeah, you're right. Yeah, and this is, this is the legacy of, of dictatorship, which still kind of haunts the country, right? And... You know, I, I just think, you know, this all goes to a thing, you know, the inequality of COVID and the lockdowns versus the economy debate, right? Like, of course, people with money can survive lockdowns and they're mm -hmm. probably even happy to have a lockdown at one point to lower lower rates of infection and, you know, out of some uh, self-preservation instincts, you know, to not get the disease. Um, they want to, you know, make sure the country is safe from COVID. But, you know, for some people, it's okay. Well, do I get the, you know, do I have the lockdowns and maybe not get the infection, or do I starve because I don't have a job? You know, it's it's kind of yeah. two bad choices. Just like you said with your with your political system, it's which bad party do I choose from? You know, what what is the lesser of two evils? And you know, you you repeatedly talked about education. I think this has been exemplified there. You know, uh, Brazil is, although it's a wealthy country the uh you know average income varies wildly right like some populations are extremely poor some are very rich mm -hmm. and this has resulted in like uh you know infrastructure such as like the internet is extremely sketchy for lack of better words um you know not all areas of life have access to this so of course online learning like we like we experienced yes. in canada isn't really available for a large segment of the society, right? And it's just a further example of inequality. Yeah, um, I heard that some public schools, because in Brazil there is like this huge sector of private schools, but public schools, 
they were, some of them ended up streaming classes through the TV because the students do not have access to their own computers or laptops. And even like, in, I, I guess in private schools, because private schools range from like low income private schools to very high end private schools. Some students also don't have access to their own computers or like a good Wi-Fi connection even. So that harmed a lot of people. I do know that a lot of people dropped out of school and university. I'm talking about both, like especially university students who go to private schools, a lot of them rely on scholarships and stuff like that. And they, they didn't have access to a lot of their own income in the beginning of the pandemic. So they just dropped out. And in schools, parents pulled kids out all the time and like, because why pay for them to go to a private school if no one's getting the education? Just put them into the public sector and then afterward, like, they'll change. So uh, education has suffered quite a bit. And I don't think this, those two years, almost two years now, are going to be easily fixed. No. <laughs> yeah, like this just, what we've seen is like a huge wealth transfer as well. Like this just... This just deepens the stratification of society and the inequality. And I think this is, you know, at least my hope is that hopefully this will end up with uh, a large working class uh, labor uh, turnout in elections to give a populist candidate. And I don't mean populist in the sense of Bolsonaro, um, you know, his like phony uh, populist rhetoric and nationalism, which is really catering to a coastal elite. I mean, like true power to, to ordinary people to reclaim their sovereignty and get wealth from the government and you know, be financially assisted. Um, what, what are your expectations of the future? And is there anything else you'd like to say about Brazil? Because I think we've covered a, a wide range of topics here. Uh, yeah, um, just because we were talking about uh, people's financial power, just so you have an idea, I forgot to mention that. Like here in New Brunswick, the minimum wage is 11.75, right? Um, and in Brazil, <laughs> that would be in Canadian dollar equivalent, uh, a little bit, a little bit less than two dollars would be the minimum wage. Um, just like in power of buying stuff, uh, I, I think. Okay, let's talk about uh, Big Mac and McDonald's. Here it costs like what, roughly nine dollars? I'd say. I'm not sure. Yeah, but, but, but it's very that, cheap. It's very cheap. You would buy with less than an hour worth of work. Oh, yeah, and, 100%. Yes. And in Brazil, for people who work minimum wage, they would need about four to five hours working to buy a Big Mac, which is a bit ridiculous. And that goes on to like all things. So people who get minimum wage, especially now because prices have... Uh, reason, reason, sorry. They do not have the same power they had of consumption years ago. And that power wasn't even there very strong. But I'm sorry, you did ask a question and I did not answer because I just... No, this is all great. Um, but what, what I was asking uh, was how, how do you feel for the outlook? Oh, you know, yeah. how, how's, how's Brazil going to move forward in the past the pandemic? Do you see the country reopening? What do you see as the political consequences? Just in general, what's the future of Brazil? 
Oh, the country has to reopen eventually. So that's bound to happen. I don't know if that's going to be the correct moment. But in a political scenario, um, I think we might be looking at a switching power. But that would be to Lula, the former president, which although I do not support, I would I would vote on him just to take Bolsonaro out of power. Um, I don't think the situation is going to be easily fixed. Um, like you talk about like this new leader emerging from the worker class, either for left wing or right wing. I don't see that happening because the thing is most of Brazilians, they don't have access to form, I won't say form education, they do have access to form education, but they don't have access to a good quality education. So a lot of them can't really reflect on like the options. They're just like, what they're leaving at the moment is kind of what goes on. And a lot of them still like listen to other people. Oh, okay, so my boss told me to vote on this person, so I'll do that because I don't know better. And that still happens very often. So I don't think that while Brazil does not invest in education, like in early education even, this is not gonna change. Uh, former President Lula, he did invest quite a bit in secondary education. The thing is, if you spend the first 18 years of your life with poor quality education, your family barely has enough to leave the month. When you get to university, you are not in the same place that the other students are academically. And that makes it very hard to, for them to keep up with their classes. And then when situations like the pandemic occur or even like minor financial crisis that they actually have to take to take up responsibility financially for their families and go to work because they don't work because they want a bit of extra money. They work because they need the money. They are the first ones to quit. So I don't see how investing into secondary education will help the population if people do not, in the government do not, does not invest into primary education, the early education years. And only after, so just thinking like, if we start investing now, it's gonna be an entire generation later that we're gonna see the effects. And that's what happened in a lot of countries like South Korea, that's what happened there. And it is a long-term investment, but I think it's a long-term investment that's very late. It's, it's due, it's past, it's due, and it's necessary and nothing is gonna happen if that doesn't change. So we're still gonna be seeing two extremes and just we just have to wait for to see who's the first one to mess up and the other one's going to be picked so do you think next you're going to have the second election day and it's probably going to be Lula and Bolsonaro and I think my guess would be that Lula is going to win just because the damage Bolsonaro has done to the country has been huge in the past couple of years but also we still have a year and a half to go to election and a lot of things can hap happen there like a year and a half before the last election Bolsonaro wasn't even considered like a candidate <laughs> so yeah I think you know you're talking a lot about education um, but 
But, you know, the aspect to this is, you know, like public education can kind of skew the history or the perception, you know, like it's, you can't learn everything. And there's only so many hours in a day. So just by selecting what to learn, you kind of distort what is your history, right? And so like the having education is great, but it's also about having the freedom of the press and the freedom to find out information on your own, um, you know, with the internet, with a cell phone, a laptop. The things that they don't know how to find uh, information, just they will look at whatever they see on Facebook or WhatsApp and believe it because they don't have enough education to actually uh, like look for extra information and check if that's true check the facts so that's i i do think and education is the key um you talked about public education like in brazil when i talk when i say the private sector is big i'm not kidding (laughs) it is huge most people do go to private schools because we have low-income private schools and very high and private schools and some of them have like religious support and stuff like that so but even I think the low-end private schools suffer because they don't have the resources to invest in themselves and yes I do agree people should be able to look up information on their own make up their own minds education can um, especially public education can have like a hand on that but still um with no education there is no critical opinion being formed i guess that's what i mean all right well uh, that was great do you have any final thoughts before we uh, finish up here um, um i don't think so just if you're interested just look up more about brazil i guess and it's history because I think this understanding the past decade even of Brazilian history will show why certain decisions were made and why people believe certain certain things. Um, and if you can look up one of these organizations I mentioned, like local organizations that towns have created, like people have actually created to help others because all help is good. All right. That's great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me here. All right, so that was my interview with Carolina Vasconcelos. Uh, she's a Brazilian national, and you know, I, I thought it was a really interesting conversation to get a perspective on, you know, from a country that's one has been one of the hardest hit from COVID nineteen. Um, you know, it's uh, extreme poverty in the country as well has really exacerbated the issues there, and you know, political instability and corruption, um, at least allegedly, has really. Uh, destroyed the nation's ability to react and bounce back from this and get their get their citizens the right medical treatments they need. Um, Jonah, what what do you think of that? What do I think? Well, at the fundamental core of this, I think Jair Bolsonaro has often proved that he's a particularly unstable person. Um, he has largely embraced these religious fanaticalisms. 
uh, ideas. He's very much got elected on um, when he was a, a congressman in Brazil and when he, he was forming his party to run for president. He very much ran on a whole idea of anti-vax, restoring like the power of Catholicism and God within Brazil. Um, and, you know, and it, it helped play into that idea of the anti-corruption campaigner, right? I'm not going to push the government on you. I love God, and, you know, and very much played into that uh, Trumpy ideology, like not really a true Christian, not really a true conservative, but plays the the role um, to kind of embrace it. And I mean, you know, very much embraced the you know he's gonna love the whole comment for me <laughs> of the uh, the gangs are providing COVID relief because I think in his mind it delegitimizes the crisis even more. And I think we need to get into that a little bit later. But it's just you know for me it's it, it's it's. It's sad because Brazil was seen as this big flourishing democracy that was getting stronger, that had great institutions, that despite some of its crazy politics was pretty, a pretty great example of like South America emerging into a strong uh, economy, strong democracy. Uh, and he's cut it off at the knees here. Uh, so I, I say I'll, flip, I'll throw it back to you, John. With that. Yeah, well, you know, I just wanted to touch on one thing. You mentioned that he has a lot of the religious support behind him, especially like the fundamentalists. But there has been like a, a growing rift in religious uh, communities in support of Bolsonaro. Um, you've seen uh, a lot of them dissatisfied with his, uh, you know, implementation of uh, COVID restrictions and financial support and material aid for the population. And you've seen the church uh, in many places take over those responsibilities. Absolutely. And, you know, and it, it's interesting to see, you know, the church is, a, of course, one of the, uh, you know, it's a long lasting institution in many countries, which is often taken on such roles. But, you know, as you mentioned, the, the gangs have also started to do this. And so we see institutions which aren't part of the state uh, taking over what should be state responsibilities. And it really shows the ineffectiveness of the government and, you know, almost like the lack of care on, on Bolsonaro's part as well. You know, he, as Carolina mentioned in the interview, you know, he's made a number of disparaging comments, calling Brazilians uh, wimps and, you know, saying it's just a small flu. And so he's really downplayed this and it's, it's left a, uh, it's left a bit of a power vacuum for other people to step up and, and take control. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I mean, I think, I mean, Moreno, who is uh, Bolsonaro's vice president, Hamilton, uh, sorry, yeah, Hamilton Moreno, I think is his name. I, I may be saying this wrong, so people on the internet can tell me if I'm saying that wrong. Uh, but his vice president is now openly challenging him for the presidency. Uh, his vice president is also uh, pushing, is seen as being pushing for the impeachment for Bolsonaro in the Congress, largely based on the fact that uh, Bolsonaro is a facing multiple charges of corruption and multiple charges of um, just being incompetent in office, which in Brazil is enough to get you removed. Uh, and, and I think it really speaks to what his strategy has been doing now, which is he is trying to play to the lowest common denominator, right? To hold on to this, uh, you know, we kind of re do a bit what Trump did in 2020, which is reestablish himself as the outsider the fighter taking on the establishment even though he's the guy who in the broadest sense of the term is running the establishment uh 
And you see what the effect of that is on effective administration. Vaccines are not being distributed fairly equally. Uh, Brazil could have been way ahead of the Pfizer game, getting things in January, potentially getting people like shots in arms. Then they're now just happening. It's slow. Like they, she, your, your guest was talking about just uh, people getting the first shots now in a country that has skyrocketing and stable cases throughout the entire pandemic. Uh, I mean, at, by the end of this, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Brazil has had the most deaths. Uh, I think India is catching up pretty darn quickly right now with the crisis that's going on there uh, and their lack, uh, you know, just the, their Brazil has the advantage of they have a broader, uh, broader and more better funded medical system. But at the same point, it's under such immense strain, you know, you're going to have the same thing where, uh, you know, Brazil, which already has so many public health issues, you know, it doesn't have proper sanitation in so many areas of the favelas. Uh, as much as, you know, you can go see a doctor, right? It, there's a lot of fear around that risk. So now you have this public institution, an essential public institution in that country uh, that's been just fundamentally damaged uh, at the same point, right? That there's a, you know, the president himself is probably responsible for the cases staying so high because he continues, as you mentioned, right? The biker rally where he just continually amps up the public and create super spreader events much in this once again kind of comparing him to trump in the sense of trump rather than having smaller campaign events focusing on getting his message out digitally like biden did which ultimately led you know creating these super spreader events that downplayed and frankly actually weakened his support amongst the middle of the country that put him in office i mean bolsonaro won a pretty massive victory by brazilian standards when he was elected most votes in brazilian electoral history uh, and a huge percentage of the popular vote, but he did it because people were mad at the socialist party. Right. And he was able to win that middle of the country, kind of that soft middle soft, right. And he's lost that now because as you've mentioned, your guest is a, you know, somewhat conservative person themselves, uh, you know, not like a hardcore conservative or anything like that, but center rightish kind of person. And, um, you know, the fact that he, if he, he needs to be winning those people. And if he's not, he, you know, he's delegitimized himself. And frankly, it's going to continue to downgrade the results of Brazilian government because he left his party to form a new party because he was struggling so much at the start of the pandemic. Um, so now he doesn't have a governing coalition. So he, his presidency is falling apart in the legislative sense and just the, the strong managerial sense and in the long-term political sense. Yeah. And, you know, with the corruption, charges and allegations and you know like the possibility of going to jail i even wonder you know like what's the op what's the chance that he like just kind of seizes power you know like he is he does fancy himself a strong man he does retain a lot of support from the military and the police um you know he's a, he's waged an especially brutal war on crime and as carolina mentioned you know it, it's almost a euphemism to call them police you know like they are heavily militarized and, you know, you wonder if maybe he could do uh, something similar to Recep Tayyip Erdogan and, you know, uh, just kind of purge the opposition, um, you know, or similar to Belarus, as we discussed. What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think the police are more of a threat in Brazil than a military because the military is loyal to him because of the vice president, who was a, a general, uh, was, and the reason he was picked, right, as to be both... Uh, uh, Bolsonaro's vice president was because Hamilton Maduro was a 
you know, very high profile general is widely respected amongst the military and the police, widely respected among, you know, first indigenous vice president of Brazil. So has legitimacy in a number of uh, Brazil's populations that are not always, you know, the most trusting of the center and the center right. So he, he was a major part of building Bolsonaro's coalition. So I don't think if, if Bolsonaro makes a move for power in that kind of way, I imagine that Maduro would quite easily seize the interim presidency and that the Congress could remove him. The larger question is the police, right? Because Bolsonaro, Bolsonaro is, uh, you know, has appointed an attorney general uh, that is his ally, has perpetually appointed ministers that are bent to, meant to protect him. So it, it would be an interesting battle to see. I think I don't think he could seize power in the same way that Erdogan did, because once again, uh, Erdogan also had the advantage of he was just prime minister forever. Uh, and Turkey, Turkey's democracy in a large sense, because it was always it was sandwiched between so many more difficult regions and allies that it, it's it's political institutions, I think, fell apart a little bit more easily or fell to Erdogan a little bit more easily because it, it had a bit more of a, a strong man set up and a system that was easier for a strong man to seize. Well, you know, Brazil, I wouldn't be surprised if he tries it, but yeah, I, I just, I don't see how he succeeds unless the military and the police go into a fallout clash. And in that case, the military, which would not side with Bolsonaro in my mind, would pro would almost certainly defeat the police. Mm -hmm. You know, but it, it's, it's hard to, you know, it's always hard to predict future events, but you oh, know, a lot of people said the said the same thing about Erdogan. You know, and you know, it's just, it's hard, kind of hard to predict these things, but you know, it's 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 always a chance. And you know, Brazil's a, a poor country uh, overall, and it's a as Carolina repeatedly mentioned, it's it's not a very well educated country, and so it's it's difficult to, for us to know. You know, like the perception of these individuals within the military, which is a largely uh, poor and uh, ill-equipped force, you know, like I, I'd be interesting. I'd be interested to know uh, how they gauge the situation. I, I imagine a lot of them are Bolsonaro supporters and, you know, you've seen at a lot of his rallies, almost, you know, like the biker parade, especially like it gave me very much paramilitary vibes. Um, you know, uh, a lot of, you know, I, I would imagine there could be a lot of growth of militias in the area. Um, similar to Colombia, which has a lot of paramilitary activity. Um, oh, absolutely. Um, but I mean, the point with inside of that, though, is that um, Lula and other former presidents have largely spoken out against those undemocratic actions. And I think that because, un you know, unlike Turkey, which Erdogan was the major figure, and there was no other major figure with inside of Turkey who could easily challenge him, even a, in a societal sense, he, he was unmatched. He was unmatched in that cultural sentence and he could effectively dominate both the political and the cultural. Bolsonaro has dominated parts of the political and parts of the cultural, but never fully in that way. And in a huge sense, it's because you have people like Lula, and I mean, who is widely popular and is seen as, you know, despite, I think, fair allegations of corruption against him, I think, you know, it's an unfortunate part of Brazilian government that corruption just runs all throughout it. But Lula, despite being corrupt, was also a Democrat. And I think people, you know, you know, and once again, Lula has also been clear corruption charges, so I shouldn't call him too corrupt, right? But, you know, despite the corruption allegations, he, he's always proved himself to be a Democrat. There was never allegations that he rigged an election. 
So I think a lot of people, if, if he's coming forward and he's speaking out like that and people are rallying around his candidacy for the presidency, I think it, it just does not allow Bolsonaro to seize power in the same way, in the same way that, you know, Joe Biden was able to effectively counter Trump's attempts after Trump lost to illegally seize power and hold on to power, right? And, and a huge part of that, once again, was, you know, major figures with inside the military and inside the political establishment, you know, despite some weak, some, despite some very serious weakness inside the Republican Party against his, his efforts, you know, we're, we're able to defeat what was a really massive democratic attack in the United States. And I mean, I think, I think that similar democratic attack is going to come. I do think Bolsonaro is going to refuse to concede. I do think when he loses, if he loses, you know, because he could still win, there's no denying that, but he will not be able to uh, do what Erdogan did, right? He, he, there, there is enough independent military police and political actors in that country who have enough power to stop him. I believe. Yeah, I'm just I'm just wondering, you know, I, I maybe compare Lula to perhaps like a, a figure like Gulen in Turkey. And, you know, uh, Gulen was famously purged and exiled to the U.S. And this kind of gave, you know, the, there's uh, various accusations against him, some more credible than others. But, you know, you can seize upon, you know, a veritable casus belli to uh, purge the uh, opposition. And, you know, I think, you know, another thing for us we could briefly discuss is like perhaps our, our outlook on the uh, economic and uh, and uh, economic future of the country. You know, I, I think it's quite poor. You know, people for decades have uh, touted Brazil as a as a growing nation. But I think if you if you take like a, a Jared Diamond uh, geographic deterministic view of the country, you realize that like its topography and its limited infrastructure kind of, kind of uh, fates it to being uh, poor, especially its interior regions. You know, like there's famously after harvesting seasons, there's like one road into uh, Rio de Janeiro uh, through the mountains, and you know there's this uh, backups and traffic for hours, and this just raises costs of transportation, and everything. You know, so I have a pretty dismal outlook for Brazil. Uh, do you have any final thoughts there, Jonah? Yeah, I mean, I would largely agree with you. I think the big advantage that Brazil has is as a country of 150 million people, right? People, it, it's a culturally diverse country. It's a economically diverse country. And as much as there's really significant problems right now, and they have a really dangerous leader, uh, I think people want to go there. I think people want to interact with that economy. I think people want to take advantage of that economy. So Brazil's going to hurt for a while. And I, I mean, they could be hurting for a decade. Right. I mean, I think the world is going to be hurting from a decade from all the debt and spending and uh, businesses that have closed and people who have lost their jobs. So, you know, there's going to be some long term hurt. But I think this is why, you know, at the same point, I think Brazil will recover, I think, because people want to be there. It's a huge economy. It's an interesting country. Um, So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see because you and I are not oracles. Yeah, definitely not. Well, uh, for those listening, this is News Flash with John and Jonah. Uh, today we had an interview with uh, Carolina Vascalonas, and we discussed COVID-19, Bolsonaro, and you know the general political and economic situation within the country.